0: Well, good morning, Stonehill Church. I want to welcome you to our services this morning. Uh, For those of you who are online and and, and watching, I say hello, I wish you could be here. It's still strange to me to be preaching to an empty sanctuary, but we'll make do. I know a number of you um, have have asked me in, in this last week, how am I feeling moving into this new role? And for those of you who don't know, Um, My new role here at Stonehill Church is, I am now called the Lead Transition Pastor here at Stonehill. And I must admit, it's exciting because this is always what I dreamed I would do. When I was seven years old and felt called to the ministry, Lead Transition Pastor was what I was hoping for. Actually, not necessarily. Uh, Not necessarily, but here is where we find ourselves. And I know that a number of you are concerned for me, and I appreciate that, and I appreciate your prayers. I know you're concerned of, you know, how do we make it through this uh, significant transition where Pastor Matt's been here for 35 years? How do we make it through COVID-19? How do we, you know, operate with with uh, the confusing and, and what looks to be a very, very uh, difficult election and, and the difficulty of continuing racism in response to that? You know, how are we going to deal with all this? And... The reality is those are all real challenges. I I certainly don't want to underestimate those. But I think the fact is, is that that God is more powerful than all of these issues that we're facing, both individually and, and corporately. God and his word has the power to help us to live the kind of life we need to live, both individually and together in community. And so I remain fairly sanguine and, 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 and very hopeful that if we as individuals and if we as God's people um, grab a hold of God's word in a deeper way, grab a hold of who God is and what he's done for us, if, if we could be more enthralled with this great God revealed to us in the scripture, I think we can navigate all of these challenges in ways that would bring great honor and glory to God. And that's why I've chosen the book of Jonah to begin uh, our series that will last up and through the Sunday of Labor Day. The book of Jonah, I think, is going to help us as it shows us very clear pictures of who God is, what he's like. And it calls us to grab onto those realities, to live in light of those realities. And I believe if we could do that, God will help us through uh, these various difficulties, these various challenges in good shape, so with that in mind, turn to jonah chapter one jonah chapter one if you've got got it on your phone there in your living room if you've got a uh, an actual bible, turn to jonah one i 'd like to read the first chapter of that of, of this book and then I want to dive in uh, t- to what God has for us this morning Jonah chapter one. This is God's word. What we're going to see in this first chapter is we're going to see three realities of who God is and what he's like. And these three realities are what we need to examine in our hearts and minds to make sure that we are holding on to this God. Because what often happens to us under pressure is that we, we, we can easily get a distorted view of God in our minds. We, we sometimes skew the, the, who God is and, and turn him into a different God or in, sometimes we replace God with our own functional God that we worship. Maybe it's a person, maybe it's a pursuit, maybe it's some kind of cause and we substitute the true God for a God that can never give us satisfaction, can never give us joy, can never provide the hope and peace that we long, that we long for. So let's take a look at the first reality of God and uh, let me just uh, share it with you and then then we'll look at the text. God and his instruction is good even when it doesn't make sense to us. God is good and, and his instructions are good even when it doesn't make sense to us or even when he doesn't make sense to us. Let's look at verse one. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. What God is doing is he's sending Jonah. Jonah was a prophet of God. Jonah was a prophet to the northern ten tribes when, they, when Israel divided between north and south, Israel in the north, Judah in the south. Uh, Jonah was a prophet to the north under the reign of Jeremiah, uh, Jeroboam II. And so Jonah was asked by God to go to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrian Empire was on the rise. It was emerging as a world power. And it was known for its, its, its hideous violence, not only against each other, but against their enemies. In fact, you can see scores of, of, of artwork that depicts the Assyrians as, as decapitating and dismembering the, their, their foes in, in battle. They were violent. They were aggressive. And they were putting pressure on Israel at this time. They were uh, making the, the, Israel in the north pay tribute to them. Eventually, in 722 BC, they will destroy them and conquer them. And so Assyria is the enemy of God, an enemy of God's people, a pagan, violent country. And Jonah was was disgusted by them, and he did not want to go and preach to them at all. Now, it's interesting when we look at at Jonah, he might have had a lot of other reasons not to go. I mean, one of the reasons Jonah may have been reluctant to go is this is the first time we see a prophet being asked to actually go to another country other than Israel. Israel, of course, in the Old Testament was God's chosen people. The prophets were, usually went to Israel and, and prophesied to Israel to help the nation. Some of the prophets do speak oracles against uh, another country, but this is the first time Jonah's asked to go to this violent, godless, pagan country and preach to them. And one of the other interesting things about Jonah is that in Jonah 4, we get a little bit of a background of why also Jonah did not want to go and do what God said. In Jonah 4, uh, verse 2, it says this, And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you were a gracious God, and you were merciful slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. In other words, Jonah didn't want to go and preach to the Assyrians and to preach to Nineveh precisely because he was concerned that maybe God would forgive them or God would not destroy them. And the reality is, before this, in the book of Nahum, another prophet, it was decreed that Nineveh would be destroyed. The Assyrians would be destroyed because of their disobedience to God and their hostility to God's people. And Jonah thinks that God's command to go and preach and offer forgiveness to the Ninevites to the Assyrians he thinks that that is not a wise decision that's not a good decision and therefore he decides to not only ignore God's command but go in exactly 180 degrees in the opposite direction Nineveh was to the east and he goes to Tarsus, which is probably off the coast of Spain, to the west to get us far away from doing what God had commanded him to do. Now what we learn here is that God and his, instru- God and his instruction is good, even when he or his instruction doesn't make sense to us. And that's the rub. For Jonah, he's not simply disobeying God, kind of like you, when you speed and you get a traffic ticket or you, or, or you get a, a parking ticket. That's, that's often the way we view what sinning against God is. We break a few rules. Well, what Jonah is, is describing here, what this story narrates is that disobedience to God is never simply a matter of breaking rules, although it is that breaking God's law and breaking a a clear command of God, (laughs) what it really means underneath it is that we have determined that God is either not good or God cannot be trusted or his command doesn't make sense to us and therefore we decide to ignore it because we think we know better. And that's what Jonah does. This command makes no sense to him is a violent people. The Assyrians are violent people. They deserve to be destroyed. It's been commanded they be destroyed. Why go and preach to them? It's not going to work. They're going to be destroyed. That doesn't make any sense. And if God gives them mercy, that's not right. And so Jonah determines that since God's command doesn't make sense to him in that moment, he will go and do the exact opposite. And he gets on a boat and goes to Tarshish in exactly the opposite direction. And one of our problems as individuals and one of our problems as a church is that we do the same thing. We don't believe that God is good and his commands are good, even when they don't make sense to us. We actually believe if God doesn't make sense to us, then we have the prerogative and the freedom to not only ignore that command or do our own thing. We set ourselves up as to be the all-wise, knowing rulers of our own universe. I remember when I was five years old, I couldn't swim yet. I was, uh, uh, couldn't swim yet, really couldn't get my head uh, underwater really yet. But uh, my parents took me to this pool party that they went to and I was really frustrated because I couldn't do anything in the pool. And they didn't have any inner tubes for me, really. And, I, and so I'm just watching everybody have fun in the pool. And so what I decided to do is get on the side of the pool. And with my hands, I started to move around the pool, um, you know, with my, with my hands and just kind of play around the pool by working my way around, you know, around and around and around the pool I went. Now, before I embarked on that, my parents told me, don't do that. You shouldn't do that. That water, is the, that water is over your head. If you slip, you, you'll be in real trouble. You don't know how to swim. This could be dangerous for you. They said, don't do that. Don't, you need to just wait on the side. Well, my parent, I was five years old. What do my parents know? I mean, they may be adults, but I thought they're trying to keep me from having fun. They don't know what they're talking about. I'm five. I think this makes sense. And so I kept going around the pool. Around and around the pool, I went, and then I slipped off. One of my hands went off. I tried to grab the side of the pool. I, could, I still remember it sort of just sliding down in the water, and I sank to the bottom of the pool. And somebody dove in, picked me off the bottom of the pool, saved my life, and I came sputtering up out of the water and nearly half drowned. Why? Because I didn't think that my parents... Good and kind and appropriate instruction made any sense to me and I decided to do what I wanted to do and set myself up as the ruler of my particular universe. I think one of the things that we all need to do here is ask ourselves, in what ways are you having trouble trusting God and, 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 and a particular command of God and believing that it's good even when it doesn't make sense to you? How are you uh, sort of uh, ignoring what God has clearly told you to do but because it doesn't seem to make sense or because you think there's another way to go or because you simply want to control your own destiny? How have you decided To switch places with God to rule your own life. What is the command of God that you're struggling to believe is good? That's the first reality of who God is that we need to come to grips with. There's a second reality of God we need to come to grips with, and that is that God pursues us. What we learn in this first chapter is God pursues us and does great things through his sovereign storms. Let's pick up the story back in verse 4. So Jonah flees. He's on a boat on the way to Tarshish. He's going 180 degrees the opposite direction of where he was supposed to go. And in verse four, we pick up the story. It says, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down to the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. The captain came and said to him, what do you mean you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. What we see here, the second reality we see about God is that God sends storms. He pursues us by, 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 and, and does great things through sending storms, to, 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 his sovereign storms to help us and get our attention and draw us back to himself. It's very clear in verse 4, but the Lord hurled a great wind. This was not a happenstance. This was not just something that happens because the world has fallen. God directly and personally brings a storm into Jonah's life to get his attention, to draw him back to himself. And this is something that we often don't want to come to grips with. We don't really want to have a God who, who loves us so much that he won't let us just keep wandering away from him and keep running from him. He's a God who pursues us, who is going to come after us in love to draw us back to himself. Now, now I want to I I be very clear here because I don't want any of you, particularly those who might be more sensitive to to, to think that what I'm saying is that every time you run away from God or every time you sin or every time you doubt God's goodness or whatever, that, 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 that God is gonna send some bad circumstance into your life. I, I, I'm not saying that. Sometimes the bad things that happen in your life are simply because we live in a fallen world and bad things happen. But sometimes... God does pursue us with a storm. Sometimes God allows a difficulty in our life. He's not wanting to hurt us. He's simply wanting to, to wake us up to the reality and to draw us back to himself so that we'll stop trusting the false gods that we put our hope in and come back to the living God to trust him and his work. Just to give you an example of my own life, I, I had, a, in a one-year period, I had a, two very serious athletic injuries. Uh, When I was uh, 17 years old, I uh, broke my arm. I had a compound open fracture playing football. Um, And because of that fracture, um, I was not able to play in the NFL. Dallas Cowboys would have won multiple Super Bowls, I'm sure. But I had a serious injury. I was in the hospital for a month, four different surgeries. It was a very long ordeal of recovery. But the reality is I never felt in that situation that God had brought the broken arm to me uh, in order to kind of deal with me. I mean, I certainly had sin in my life like everyone does. But as I examined my heart, and I remember examining my heart, thinking, why did you do this? I felt like, well, the broken arm happened because the defensive lineman that ran into me was 100 pounds heavier than me, and he drove me into the ground and broke my arm. But a year later, I broke two bones in my my. My uh, my right leg, and that injury, I had the distinct impression that God had allowed that injury in order to get my attention. I had moved away from home. I was my first year in university. Uh, while I wasn't doing anything particularly sinful, my spiritual life was very lethargic. I was not captivated by God much. I was kind of doing my own thing. And I felt very strongly as I recovered for five months with that broken leg that God was pursuing me and allowed this to happen to do good things in my life. Now, the reality is, whether God is directly pursuing you or he simply allows you to experience the difficulties of life, we're told in Scripture that all of our suffering, all of the trials that we face, God is using it to help us to become more like Jesus Christ. James uh, 1, 2 Corinthians uh, 1, all of these passages say virtually the same thing. What I think we need to see here, though, is that God directly pursues Jonah through this storm and he begins to try to speak to Jonah about his disobedience of God where he begins to believe that God's commands are not good and he was going to follow his own wisdom on, on, uh, because of that command. But we need to understand that what God is doing is pursuing Jonah through this sovereign storm and God's wanting to do good things. When I look back on my leg, I was in a cast for five months, and I really did feel like God was dealing with me in my life. I look back on that situation. It was frustrating. It was hard. I was in a wheelchair for five months at college. Uh, every other day, my wheelchair would be up in a tree because my friends had put it up in a tree and thought that was funny, so I was hopping around campus. I mean, it was a pain in the neck in so many different ways. But the reality is, I don't, I'm not sure I would have traded that five months because God brought pursued me and did great things through the sovereign storms he allowed in my life to help me reconnect with who God is and what he's done in my life. Now, I think this is the the difficult thing for many of you, right? I suspect for a number of you right now listening to this, God's got you in the middle of a storm. He's either allowed the fallenness of the world to crash in on you or maybe he is directly pursuing you. And he's trying to get your attention. And, 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 of course, the difficulty is with God putting you in a storm, putting you in a difficult position, you're going to have a choice to make. Are you going to wake up and realize that you are put your hope and confidence in something that's not God? Are you going to wake up and realize that the, your view of God is skewed and distorted? Or are you going to allow God's sovereign storm to do God's work in your life, to soften your heart? And to remind you of who God is and what he's done. And reconnect and put your hope and confidence in every aspect of that God. The way you ought What's fascinating uh, and and probably the joys of being a pastor for, for a long time. Is how many times I have heard people say. When I got my cancer diagnosis I thought the world was over. And what I didn't realize is how close to God I would become in the midst of this storm. I can't believe all the opportunities I've been able to share about others more than any time in my life because I had to go through that trial, that storm, that difficulty. I know others in this church have have had excruciatingly difficult, horrific things happen to you. And yet you acknowledge now, maybe it was difficult in the middle of the storm. But now on the other side, you can see, yes, that was terrible. But you also acknowledge God met me in that storm, drew me back to himself, and gave me opportunities to display the beauty and glory of God in ways I never would have had without the storm. There's one more thing about this storm that I I think is fascinating. and We'll pick that up in verse 7. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast the lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And Jonah says, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down? The sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, verse 12, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you for I know it is because of me. Now, the men don't want to do this. They kept rowing harder. They tried to to get to shore some other way. Verse 14, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on on us innocent blood. And they picked, verse 15, they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. And then in verse 16 we read, then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. (laughs) This is the amazing part of this story. Jonah has to be the worst prophet in the history of the world. Jonah doesn't do what God says. Jonah goes the opposite direction of where God says. He's supposed to bring the message and do what God told and bring it to Nineveh. He's on a boat going 180 degrees the opposite way. He's asleep in the boat while a storm hits the boat. He, he doesn't do anything right. The only thing he does right is he says, okay, it's because of me that the storm throw me overboard. They throw him overboard. He hasn't preached to them. He hasn't shared the, the good news of God to them. He's done nothing nothing but allowed them to throw him overboard and a revival has already broken out. Verse 16, the men feared the Lord exceedingly. They offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. The word that's used there is the covenant name of God, Yahweh. And I think there's very indication to believe that these sailors who were pagans just minutes before came in contact with a disobedient prophet who did nothing right. And what does God do in his sovereignty? He brings them to faith in himself because that's the kind of sovereign God that we have. He takes the bad and the good in our life. He takes the failures that we have. He is so sovereign, he can take all of that, the good, the bad, the the successes, the failures, the, the times that we are really moving in Christ, the times that we're not moving too well in Christ, and he does what he does in spite of our performance, he accomplishes his purpose. That's how sovereign he is. I tell you, this gives me great hope. (laughs) Gives me great hope as an individual. Gives me great hope for our church in our difficult times and the challenges that we face. If God can use a prophet who does nothing right and still brings people to himself, what can he do with us? Particularly if we, actually started to obey and believe this good God and believe in that God knows what he's doing and, 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 and commit to him in a deeper way, what might he do here for us in this time of transition? God pursues us and does great things uh, through his sovereign storms. One last thing, just briefly, but it's, it's very important, and that is God graciously takes God's wrath as our substitute. Now, when we read this text, you say, well, where, where do you get that? Well, they, they pick up Jonah, verse 15, and they hurl him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. What we have to understand about this passage is that this is a picture of Jonah sacrificing himself, so to speak. Jonah is the representative who takes the wrath. He's the one that's thrown into the storm so that the storm can be abated. He experiences the full effect of the storm so that the sailors in the boat can be saved. Now, what is fascinating about the book of Jonah is that in Matthew twelve forty one, Jesus himself says that he's greater than Jonah. One greater than Jonah is here, and what I think jesus is is saying is the picture of what Jonah did to save these sailors, he became the substitute so they might live is is a picture of what Jesus would do for us. Jesus would, would, would through the cross which would, would step into the storm of our sin and the wrath of God that we deserved. Jesus would, would go into that storm. He would drink down the cup of God's wrath all the way to the end so that that wrath will be poured out on Jesus and not us. Uh, Jacques Ellul, uh, quoting on the book of Jonah, says this. At this point, Jonah takes up the role of the scapegoat. The sacrifice he makes saves them. The sea calms down. He saves them humanly and materially. materially. Jonah is an example of the Christian way. What counts is that this story is in reality the precise intimation of an infinitely vaster story and one which concerns us directly. What Jonah could not do but his attitude announces is done by Jesus Christ. It is he who accepts total condemnation. Jonah is not Jesus Christ, but he is one of the long line of types of Jesus, each representing an aspect of what the Son of God will be in totality. And if it is true that the sacrifice of a man who takes his condemnation can save others around him, then this is far more true when the one sacrificed is the Son of God himself. It is solely because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that the sacrifice of Jonah avails and saves. What we see in Jonah is a picture of the ultimate substitution that God will make on our behalf. And I do believe that this beautiful picture of God's grace is what we must grab a hold on. This is the kind of God that we claim to worship. This is the God who is revealed in the scriptures. This is the God we must hold on to. The God who will substitute himself for us in our place so that we could have eternal life. And I think sometimes we have trouble when God gives us a command and direction that we don't think makes sense. We, we tend to substitute God for ourselves and do what we want to do. And sometimes when God pursues us in a storm, we rage at God and say, why are you coming after me like this? Why are you allowing these difficulties? And yet when we see Jonah and the picture of Jonah pointing to the son of God who would pour out his life in our place, how can we not doubt that this God is good? He died in our place. He took the punishment that we deserved upon himself. And he offers to us full forgiveness of those sins. A future completely secure because of his death and resurrection. After he does all of this for us, after he pours out everything for us, how can we, when experiencing difficulties or struggles, or if he, he gives us a command that we don't fully understand, how can we reject it? How can we, we get, become embittered when we have been loved like this? My friends, the challenges the whole world is facing now are significant. I don't want to discount that. I certainly don't want to, uh, you know, to, 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 to act like I'm burying my head under the sand like an ostrich. But the God revealed in the word of God is far bigger than the problems we face. The God that's revealed in the Bible is so much greater. He is good and all of his instructions are good even when we don't understand them. He pursues us and does great things through his sovereign storms that he allows into our lives. And, and lastly, God graciously, as pictured in Jonah, takes God's wrath as our substitute. With a God like that, how can we be that afraid? With a God like that, how can we not have more hope? With a God like that, how can we not be galvanized to to lay our lives down for one another and to lay our lives down out for him? This is our great God. And may we grab a hold of that God and keep a hold of that God. Together, through this time of transition, for the glory of God. Let me pray for us. Dear Father in heaven, we confess that we often wander away from you. We wander away from the Lord. We wander away from from your word. We hide. We run away like Jonah. Lord, remind us, Lord, that you are a good God and that everything you tell us to do is good and for our good. I pray that we would believe that and act upon it and stop replacing God with ourselves or some other version of God that's not true. Lord, I pray that you would help us to remember that you, you often come to us and pursue us uh, in your sovereignty through your sovereign storms to do things that, that only you can do but you sometimes allow these things to happen to us. May we not become embittered. May we embrace them and learn from them and learn to trust you that you know best. And that you have our best interests at heart. And Lord, lastly, Lord, we need to come to grips with you are the God who substitutes himself for us. You took the wrath of God so that we would not have to. Lord, when we look at at, at what you've done for us, may that help us to understand how loving, good, and gracious, and merciful. And may that propel us and help us together and individually through the time of transition and the other struggles that are facing all of us because of COVID-19. We commit this to you in Jesus' name, amen.